Thank you, worship team. Man, it's good to see you today. Philippians chapter 2. We've been here throughout most of the month. We're going to wrap up this series today. Philippians 2, starting with verse 9. Therefore God exalted him. Who am I talking about? Jesus. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today we're going to look at three more names that the scripture gives Jesus. We're going to start with the one he's known as our high priest. Maybe you don't know what that means. Let's talk about that for a little bit. But God created mankind to live for eternity. Did you know that? When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them to live for eternity. If you eat, the Bible says, God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will do what? You will die. There was nothing else that they knew that would cause death. But if you eat from this tree, you will die. In fact, the serpent who was Satan in the form of a snake in the Garden of Eden, he said to them, you know, you're, you're not really going to die. Come on, that's really not the truth, is it? But the Bible tells us that Adam sinned by disobeying God there in the garden, by eating of that tree of the knowledge of the, of the tree of good and evil, and that death came to all, and that death is physical death and spiritual death. God needed a way to redeem mankind. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Now, maybe you're not used to that word atonement, but if you break it down, okay, this is, this is your English lesson for the day. The word atonement just take a line and draw and separate three words. At one meant. The blood is what brings us to a place where we can be at one with God. It's our atonement. So God's plan of redemption was that there needed to be a blood sacrifice because the life of the creature is in the blood. And only a life could redeem another life. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4, we read this, that Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. This is the first example that we see in scripture where animal sacrifices are used as part of worship to God. We also can see in Genesis chapter 8 that Noah, after he came off the ark, sacrificed animals as 
part of his worship to the Lord. And it says the Lord smelled this pleasing aroma. If we go a little bit further in history to when the people of Israel were being held in bondage and slavery in Egypt, what does God tell Moses? He said, sacrifice a a lamb without blemish and take the blood and put it on the doorposts on the side and on the top of your homes so that the the death angel will pass by. Thank you, sweetheart. I don't, that's my wife. (laughs) This is not one of those churches. (laughs) I hope there are none of those churches. So then in Exodus chapter 30 and verse 10, which we can trace back to about 1,450 years before Christ. It says this, Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns, meaning the horns of the altar. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering, which was a lamb and a goat, Okay, for the generations to come, it is the most, it is most holy to the Lord. And only, I have to tell you this, not anybody could do this. You just couldn't walk around and sacrifice uh, an animal and take it into the, the, uh, what was called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting that God instructed Moses to build and make that sacrifice. Only the high priest was allowed to do so. This was so serious that the high priest could not enter into the Holy of Holies, the very inner part of the tabernacle. He could not enter in without blood to sacrifice. In fact, this was so serious. This was so serious that they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist. Because if the high priest had not appropriately made sacrifice for his own sin, he would die in the presence of God. So they would tie a rope around his waist, and that rope they would run under the very heavy curtain that was around the Holy of Holies. And in fact, on the bottom of his garment, they would have... Uh, basically, it, it, equivalent, it was the equivalent of noisemakers. Something that would make noise as he walked around inside the Holy of Holies so that they could hear, there was no roof on it, so that they could hear that noise and know that he was still alive. And if they stopped hearing the noise, they would take that rope that was attached to his waist and they would pull him out from underneath their, the curtain. We move forward to 966 B.C. to Solomon's temple and the dedication of the temple. And in in the dedication of the temple, over the course of seven days, they sacrificed 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep. The blood was so, there was so much blood that before they did this, they actually had to build a sewer system to be able to handle that amount of blood. So over the course of that seven days, 20,000 animals per day, which equals one every four seconds. 
This was an incredible sacrifice, and the presence of the Lord literally invaded that temple. And those sacrifices, not that large, but they continued until 70 AD, until the temple ultimately was destroyed. But you say, man, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. It says, in fact, the law requires nearly everything to be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that the shedding of blood is still required for our sins to be forgiven. Now, in the Old Testament, it was something that was done continually. It was done on a regular basis to take care of the sins of the people of Israel. So what blood is being shed for us today? Because I I don't know about you, but I'm not traveling to Israel to the remains of the temple and making a sacrifice for my sins or the sins of my family or the sins of my nation. I don't know about you, but I don't think you're doing that. Out in the backyard, you know, we're not doing that. We're not sacrificing animals and, 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 and using their blood to atone for our sin. But in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, God refers to the Lamb of God who was slain from the creation of the world. And so he is this sacrifice Remember when we talked about Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when we talk about the way, he's both the mode and the route. So he's the vehicle that you get to God, but he's also the road you take to get there. When it comes to Jesus being the high priest, he's not only the high priest, he's also the sacrifice. Come on, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Jesus Christ is the high priest, and he's not in a, in a physical temple in Jerusalem, but the Bible says that, that that temple in Jerusalem was a replica of the one in heaven, and Jesus is there in heaven as our high priest. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. When somebody says to you, I could never believe in a God who sends people to hell, they don't know who God and Jesus are because they have have, have enacted this plan of redemption and Jesus gave his life to be the sacrifice and he is our high priest. Can anybody say amen this morning? Sorry, I got excited. Number two, he's the mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. A mediator intervenes between two parties. Their goal, their desire is to bring about reconciliation to a dispute. There are parties that are opposing each other. And the mediator is there to bring them together, to find a solution. There's a big difference between a lawyer and a mediator. A lawyer is there to either defend a client or to prosecute a client. A mediator is there to bring the two parties together. 
they attempt to forge an agreement between those opposing parties. When I was a kid, I think we were, we were hitting golf balls, and I, and I was young. And I think we were hitting golf balls in the neighbor's yard, and I got a hold of one, okay? And for some reason, I was facing the neighbor's house, okay? Now, it was... It wasn't, you know, like a beautiful chip shot or something. It was on the ground, but it was moving fast. And I could see it was heading toward the basement window. And that golf ball hit that basement window and shattered it, and I ran faster than I've ever run in my life from the neighbor's yard into my yard, and I wanted to hide. I didn't want to own up to it. I remember my parents trying to console me. I needed a mediator. I needed someone who would go from my house to their house, preferably without me, (laughs) and talk this thing through and shell out a few bucks for that new basement window. But I remember my parents made me do it. Dad, come on, please. But they, they gave me the, the courage, the strength. I'm sure they even walked with me over to the neighbors to do that. They were my mediator. You and I, we need a mediator. We need an advocate with the Father, someone to hold our hand, to walk us from where we are in our sin into the Father's presence. Because our sin has separated us from God. The Bible says that while we were in sin, we're literally enemies with God. Did you know? Did you know that if there's a lawyer in the Bible, it's Satan. And Satan stands before God the Father, the Bible says, and accuses brothers and sisters in Christ all day, every day. He stands and accuses you. Whatever mistakes that you've made in your life, whatever sins you've committed, and, and there's some of them that stick out in our mind for years, okay? And sometimes we replay those, okay? You know what I'm talking about? I'm the only one, right? Am I the only one that's ever done this? We replay them. You think that that's just your mind, okay? You don't think the enemy has any part of that? He is literally replaying those mistakes, not just in your mind, but he's doing it in front of God. God, I can't believe that Matt calls himself a Christian. Okay, because let, let, me, let me just tell you some of the things that Matt has done. And he begins to review those the same way you do in your mind. He's like putting it up on the big screen in heaven. God, look at this. Why would you do that? That's, that's how he does with all of us that he accuses us before God. Like a prosecuting attorney digging for evidence, looking for that smoking gun. And we all know where it's buried. And we're just hoping he doesn't find it. Well, I got news for you. He's already found it. And we would stand convicted were it not for the blood of Jesus. Peter says this, that God would, that none would perish, that none would be found guilty, but that all would come to everlasting life. Romans chapter three, verse 34, the second half of that verse, it says, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, look at this, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You know what Jesus is doing? He's defending you. 
When Satan is accusing you, Jesus is defending you. Hey, God, excuse me, I, I've just heard all of these things that have been said. And I, I just want you to know, God, that they're one of ours. Because I died on the cross. I shed my blood. And I have mediated for them. And they are in our family. And so, God, we just, I just want you to know that they're pure. They're clean. Yep, they, they committed all those sin, but you know, the word of God says that when we're forgiven, our sin is separated from us as far as the east is from the west. It's like God takes our sin and buries them in the deepest sea, and then he posts a buoy above it that says no fishing. We want to fish. We want to dig them up. We can't do that. Jesus is the mediator between God and us. He brings us together with God through the covenant of his blood. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper communion, we are celebrating that covenant of blood between us and Jesus. The question is, and the, and the word covenant, it means contract, okay? Question is, have you signed that contract, all right? Have you, have you entered into that contract between you and Jesus that Jesus would represent you as your mediator between the Father and he does so with his blood? I gotta get moving. Number three. <laughs> He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Let me ask you this. How do people see Jesus? in our world. How do they see him? Some of them would say, well, you know, he, he was a teacher. He taught good things. And we still, our, our world still teaches some of those today. They change the name so that they don't have to give a Bible verse, okay, but they call it the golden rule. The golden rule is something that probably every kindergarten teacher has taught in the course of her career, she teaches it every year. What, it, it simply says that we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That's Jesus. That's not, that's not an educational genius today. That's Jesus and his words. Some would say that he's a prophet. Others would just say, you know, he did a lot of good things. He did a lot of, 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 of good things. You know, he, he was nice to people. Others would say that he's a cult leader. Some might say that he's a fraud, that he was a political leader or just a figure in history that we can read a little bit, bit about. Some would say he claimed to be a deity. You know, even in Jesus' day, the opinions varied. They said he was a prophet. They said he was a teacher. Some said he was John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Others said he was Elijah, come back from the dead. Others said he was the prophet Jeremiah who came back from the dead. So there was a lot of different opinions. When Nicodemus, one of the Sanhedrin, met with Jesus, he referred to him as good teacher come from God. So they had an opinion of who Jesus was. But Jesus asked his followers, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this wasn't just a lucky guess. Jesus said, he said, Peter, that you've been, this has been revealed to you from my father in heaven, not by flesh and blood. Eugene Peterson, the writer of the Message Bible, he said that the world thinks that Jesus is simply, they think of Jesus simply as a household utensil. Now, I'm simple, okay? I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, of like a serving spoon. I'm thinking of a whisk. Basically, everything that I'm thinking about has to do with food. It just shows you how simple I really am. But those are little tools that you use in the kitchen in order to get something done. They're very functional. The world looks at Jesus as just, he's just a functional individual. He goes on and said, they look at him as wise and an ethical sage or a meek and mild servant. Many do not take him seriously. So let me ask you this question. Should we take Jesus seriously. You know, a lot of times what we do is we segment our lives. Okay? We're going to take Jesus serious on Sunday, but the rest of the week while I'm at my job dealing with a bunch of of people that are less intelligent than I would like them to be, (laughs) do we take him seriously? When we're at home with our family and we've got people there that are not listening, okay, they're acting like knuckleheads, do we take Jesus seriously then? I want you to know that the Bible refers to Jesus as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for a reason. It's not just a catchy name. It's just not a little emotional kick, okay? Not, not just that. I loved it last night at, at UP City Fest. Man, that, that was being proclaimed that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was, you realize that's our mall, Okay? The name of Jesus was being proclaimed in a, in a wonderful way. But I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 19. And I'm going to have the worship team come. Beginning at verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, this is a very different view of Jesus than anything else we've seen throughout the month as we've looked at these names of Jesus. 
When we talk about Jesus, we talk about this one who loves, who sticks closer than a friend. We talk about the one who, who died for us, and we, we love those things. But I don't want you to forget who the Bible also says Jesus is, that he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He will judge and make war. In other words, he will sentence and he will carry out that sentence. He will execute the judgment of God upon the earth. It says that he has many crowns. I thought maybe this refers to the fact that that Jesus has defeated all of these nations that he's talking about here in, in Revelation 19. But as I looked into it and as I studied it, what it really was telling us is these crowns are referring to, to Jesus' character. This, his royalty is based on his character as the Son of God. These crowns are not simply trophies of victories that he has won. And he leads a heavenly army. The Bible tells us that not only will there be angels, but the church, the redeemed, the bride of Christ, who are white and clean, they will be with him. And he will return to earth And that in this army that he will come, and the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, lest you think that this is just willy-nilly. The Bible tells us that the armies of the world will be gathered around the nation of Israel to destroy it. And Jesus is going to come down and he's going to win that battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. He is the supreme power. He is the supreme authority. Powers, governments, and kings will be conquered. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, it says, They will wage war against the Lamb, referring to the nations. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And He and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. The Bible tells us that at that time, he will set his government up upon the earth. Revelation 20 and verse 4, the the end part of that verse, it says, They came to life and reigned with him a thousand years. That, That government that Jesus sets up on earth will last for a thousand years. So as we look at these names of Jesus, he's our high priest. He's the one that goes into the presence of the Holy of Holies. And he's also the sacrifice. He's the lamb that has been slain before the foundations of the world. He's the one that went to the cross of Calvary and shed his blood. And he takes his blood into the Holy of Holies. And he makes sacrifice for my sin and for yours once for all. He doesn't have to go back in. He's the mediator. He's the one that looks to reconcile us with our heavenly father. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Say, I don't know if I like that king of king and Lord of lords thing. Well, I want you to know something. Without that, is he really who he says he is? We're going to close our service here with song that we sang earlier that says, I speak Jesus. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
I'm going to ask you today to take whatever it is that you need to take and put it under the authority of that name of Jesus. We've been talking about that name all week. There is, a, there is an anointing of the Holy Spirit here today. And I want you to know that God is prepared for you to take whatever it is. You say, well, what, what are you really talking about? Maybe, maybe it's a marriage relationship. And you don't know how to make it right. Take that marriage and put it under the name of Jesus. Maybe it's a relationship that you have with one of your children and there's a brokenness to it and you don't know how to restore it. You don't know what to do and you need someone else. I want you to bring it and I want you to put it under the name of Jesus. Maybe it's addiction. You don't know how to break it. I want you to know that the name of Jesus breaks every chain of addiction. I want you to bring it to him and I want you to put it under the name of Jesus. Maybe it's, maybe it's literally you have yourself in such a financial bind that you, there's, there's nothing you can do to get free from it. I want you to take it and put it under the name of Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're in this place or if you're online today or six months from now, it doesn't matter. God wants to do something here. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And as the worship team leads us, and I'll come back and close in prayer in just a moment. We've got plenty of time. But as they lead us, I believe that the Holy Spirit has brought things to your mind even as I was talking and he was literally saying, that's what I'm talking about. I want you to put it under the name of Jesus. You see, the name of Jesus is the name above every name. And as they lead us, I'm just going to invite you to step out. And I'm going to invite you to, to come and I'm going to invite you at this altar to bring that and to put it under the name of Jesus, under the authority of our high priest, under the authority of our mediator, under the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As they lead us, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, no one's gonna ask you what that is, but as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you step out, come to this altar, and, and in, a, in a place of commitment to the Lord. Just say, God, I'm putting those things under your feet. I need the name of Jesus to be over these things. I need the name of Jesus to make the difference. As they lead, you come.